This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, July 10th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. How we spend money on security needs to reckon with the fact that if lives saved for the money is the relevant metric, there are simply better ways to spend money that now gets spent on fighting or preventing terrorism. Trevor Thrall, senior fellow at the Cato Institute, is co-author of the new study, Step Back, Lessons for U.S. Foreign Policy from the Failed War on Terror. We spoke last week. If somebody were concerned about uh, saving lives uh, in the United States, you would have to look at diseases, essentially diseases of choice that uh, many Americans have. Terrorism uh, is something that ought to be way, way, way down the list. Heart disease, uh, getting hit by a car, uh, smoking, all these sorts of things are much, much greater risks than terrorism. All right. So what is the conclusion that we draw from from uh, that fact combined with our trillions of dollars in spending on a broad global war on terror? What what is, what are we to take away from that? I think there are two things we can take away from it. First of all, just on a simple cost benefit, you know, from a cost benefit benefit perspective, the United States could have spent the $5 trillion it has committed so far to the war on terror in almost any other fashion and saved vastly more American lives than even the best estimate of the war on terror has, has produced. Um, but the second is that if we look carefully at how the United States spent that $5 trillion, uh, most of it in a global war on terror overseas, we would learn that the United States has made things worse, not just for the United States, but for many other people. And terrorism is now 15, 16 years after 9-11, a bigger problem worldwide than it was before. One of those costs is that the United States, in executing uh, its war on al-Qaeda more narrowly, ended up fomenting or creating the environment in which ISIS was created. Yeah, it's it's ironic. The three main goals that the Bush administration articulated after 9-11 were to prevent future terrorist attacks, to defeat al-Qaeda and other, you know, as yet unnamed foreign terrorist organizations of global reach, and to then eventually diminish the conditions that would foment terrorism, you know, instability and autocratic governments and all that sort of thing. And on every count, things are worse now than they were before, although <clears throat> the, on, in terms of attacks, I mean, frankly, the, your chances of dying from a terrorist attack in the United States are precisely the same since 9-11 as they were before 9-11. So I guess we could call that a wash. Uh, but not only did we not defeat al-Qaeda, we helped it spawn into many franchises worldwide. And of course, the invasion of Iraq also uh, helped pave the way for the rise of ISIS. And when you look at the conditions that the Bush administration and then the Obama administration and now the Trump administration will, will tell you encourage terrorism, instability, peace, lack of you know, democratic governments, um, all those factors as scored by NGOs are, are worse in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Yemen and Somalia and Nigeria, Syria, everywhere. Everywhere the United States has uh, sent a drone, a special forces operation, uh, or intervened in some way in the war on terror is worse now than it was in 2001. You look at the global terrorism database from the University of Maryland to sort of detail uh, attacks that were inspired by Islamism and not Islamism. So what is the what is the conclusion do you draw from that? Well, you know, the the 
the rise of Islamist-inspired terrorism corresponds very neatly with the beginning of the United States War on Terror. So there's this big outlier in 2001 where, you know, a tragic, you know, horror, horrific attack in the United States causes 3,000 deaths. But then over the next two years, terrorism worldwide drops. But then in 2003, the United States in its infinite wisdom decides to invade Iraq and that begins a slow but then increasingly rapid rise in the amount of terrorism, not just um, terrorist attacks but also the number of terrorist groups that exist. Uh, and then eventually, of course, uh, as the United States intervenes and starts using drones to strike in you know, one, two, five and now up to seven different countries, in each of those places where the United States started uh, intervening, about a year later, you start to see a sharp rise in the number of terrorist attacks in each of those places. So we can we can pretty well figure out that wherever the United States starts fighting the war on terror, the violence simply begets more terrorism. Uh, another uh, point that you look at from uh, the Department of State Country Reports on Terrorism 2000 through 2015 from Stanford University's Mapping Militant Organizations Project that the estimated number of fighters in Islamist-inspired uh, foreign terrorist organizations has more than tripled since 2000. Yeah, and I, I think one of the important dynamics that the United States failed to account for was that by intervening directly and with sort of highly visible uh, tools of military force uh, that the United States ensured a lot of media attention uh, to what it was doing. And that media attention helped uh, al-Qaeda and then the Islamic State really spread the word about what they were doing, what was going on. And that, unfortunately, the broader you spread those kind of things, uh, the more uh, those messages reached the crazies uh, in Europe and elsewhere who then wound up traveling, many of them, to Iraq and Syria to join ISIS. And so, you know, by, by making a big, huge stink out of it, the United States actually created an even bigger mess. So we are where we are. And uh, whether we like it or not, what are, what's step one to begin the process of lowering the temperature? Yeah, you can't undo this in a night. Um, Rome wasn't sacked in a day. Is that a thing? Uh, we need to step back. We need to rewind. And we need to do it a bit at a time. Uh, at this point, the, the best thing the United States can do is start to uh, withdraw uh, not only its own troops uh, from Afghanistan and um, eventually from Iraq and, and certainly from Syria. Um, you know, ISIS is in fact a, a big enough problem that I think the United States needs to help, but I think it needs to do so much more indirectly, much more quietly uh, without Americans uh, in the Middle East. And, and then that extends to the nation-building efforts. Um, after ISIS in this next iteration is defeated, the United States needs to say, hey, uh, the Middle East is actually not our neighborhood and it's not our job to fix it. Um, and we, we can't fix it. This is pretty obvious after 15 or 16 years and trillions of dollars. So the United States needs to just step back from that effort and say, hey, Middle East, um, if you guys want to fix it, it's that's on you. And then I think um, – the last piece is that the United States needs to kind of go back to what the tried and true method of dealing with terrorism has always been in you know, demo democracies and open societies, which is to acknowledge that it's a risk you can't completely eradicate. 
uh, but understanding it's a modest risk. Uh, and then use a law enforcement paradigm rather than a military paradigm for dealing with it. Um, you use intelligence and surveillance just like you would against the mafia or other uh, criminal enterprises. And when you find them, you you arrest them and put them in jail. And one of the, uh, I think, underappreciated elements of doing that is that by treating terrorists as a not special threat, you sort of rob them of a certain amount of mystique. Absolutely. They're just criminals. They're not freedom fighters. They're not legends. They're not, um, you know, vaunted, uh, you know, super-sized, uh, super-empowered individuals on the global stage. They're just criminals. Trevor Thrall is co-author of Lessons for U.S. Foreign Policy from the Failed War on Terror. It's available at Cato.org. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.